You're listening to the American Home Contractors Podcast. This episode was originally edited for YouTube and may include moments or references that make better sense with a video component. You can find this episode under the same title on the American Home Contractors YouTube page. Now, on to the show. So the roof is on the house. We are ready to go to the electrical installation. So let's talk about, you know, soup to nuts. <laughs> let's not say soup to nuts. <laughs> So the glass is on the roof, right? Once the glass is installed on the roof, we consider the roof, the solar roof to be installed. But the solar roof product and project is not complete without the electrical. So after the roof is installed, then it's time to do the electrical portion. So the wires are typically installed through the roof, pass through into the attic, and then the wires are run through conduit through the attic down to the inverter, which takes the direct current turns it into alternating current that goes into the main electrical panel. And then from there, we install the gateways, the power walls and complete the electrical process. We can actually start doing the electrical work while we're doing the roof, if it makes sense. If the attic access is really limited, we can actually remove sheets of plywood when we're doing the roof replacement so that the electricians can walk around easier in the attic mm -hmm. and have better access, making their job a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So we try to coordinate with the electricians during the project. But if the roof is installed and we haven't done any electrical, the electricians will come in after the roof installation. And we have to also wait for the roof installation before we can get those wires to run the conduit through. Um, leading up to the finalization of the electrical, we can also install gateways, inverters, power walls, all the electrical equipment before we even go to the roof replacement portion of the project. So it just really depends that there is some flexibility in the scheduling. But typically, glasses on the roof, the wires are passed through into the attic. We run the wires down to the inverter, into the main panel, and then complete our electrical portion of the project. And usually that takes a few days after the roof is complete. Here at American Home, we do have our own electricians on site. Is that typical for the same company to install the roof to have electricians, or is that sometimes outsourced to another company? So it's a mix. Some companies have in-house electricians. Some companies use electrical partners. And starting off, we use electrical partners as well. And it's still good to have electrical partners as part of your team. You know, Even if you have in-house electricians and you can handle everything, from soup to nuts, uh, it's good to have partnerships so that if you, you could scale up, if you have additional work or additional needs, or maybe something outside of your coverage area a little further out, then it's nice to have those partnerships in place. So the electricians are on site, they do their job. Now it's time for inspection, correct? And is inspection the same as PTO or are those two different things? So they're two different things. So after the electrical work is completed, then we're going to call in the inspections so that the roof can get inspected for the building permit, and then the electrical work can get inspected for the electrical permit. Mm. Once those two permits pass inspections, then we can move on to getting PTO, permission to operate. We have to take the paperwork from the inspections, the past inspections, send that to the utility company so that they know that everything is good to go for meter swap, right? The utility company will come out, swap out the existing meter with a smart meter or a solar meter. And then once the utility company comes out and, and does that meter swap, then it's usually a day or two afterwards where they issue the official PTO permission to operate. You get a letter saying you can turn on your system. That's so exciting. We just had a video that went live of one of our customers turning on their system, seeing the smile on her face was just, it was a magical moment. Uh, but that leads to another question that I have and that we've seen a couple customers have. Uh, are they able to flip the switch themselves? More importantly, are they able to do that without an electrician being on site? Or do they need to have some sort of supervision for turning on their system? No, the, the homeowner can turn the system on once they're granted permission to operate. So just flipping the breakers on, flipping the, um, the rapid shutdowns from off to on, you know, just making sure everything is turned on with the system, which we go through, you know, and we explain this to homeowners as we're leading up to this moment. And turning on the system is fairly easy once you know where everything is and what to do and it takes a few minutes. And then once everything's turned on, then you should start seeing the production 
in the Tesla app. As a Tesla solar roof owner yourself, uh, what was the first thing, what were the first points of data that you were looking at once your roof was turned on? What did you want to know right out the gate? Well, the first thing I wanted to see was I wanted to see the actual solar roof in my Tesla app because I have a vehicle as well. So once you open the app, first thing I see is my vehicle, then I swipe over, and then I see my solar roof after I swipe right. And I can see the production. I can see that you can name it, right? I just named it Tesla solar roof, and then I put the system size in there. So for reference, as I look at the system size, I can see how much it's producing in kilowatts. And then going through the app, you can actually see a bunch of information. So I wanted to make sure when it was installed that I saw, you know, everything was showing up properly. And in the app, Tesla has two different visuals for either Tesla solar roof or panels. Tesla solar roof, the visualizer will show a home with the solar roof tiles. If you have panels, it'll show solar panels on top of a roof as the visualizer. So just a you know unique difference between the two. It's in but the details. You, it's in the details. When you get the Tesla solar roof, you get the solar roof visualizer in your app. So looking to see it, that's there. And then also seeing the number of power walls listed underneath the power wall portion of the app, it'll actually tell you. So inside of my app that's attached to my Tesla solar roof, I have three power walls, which you can see, 3X. So it's important to make sure those small details are accurate because we've had issues with syncing and commissioning of the systems where not everything was showing up properly and then we have to get Tesla you know, support involved and just make sure it's showing up properly. So those are the first things I looked for after everything was turned on and I flipped everything to the on position. I'm not sure if we discussed this yet. Uh, how is the system communicating with your phone? Are you connecting it to your home network or is it a standalone Wi-Fi signal? So you can connect it through Ethernet, but there is also Wi-Fi capabilities oh, in cool. the gateway. Yep. Right on. And I believe there's cell service in there as well. So it communicates and just make sure that while the system's producing, it's talking to Tesla and letting them know how everything's going. But then it's also letting the homeowner know through their mobile app. Yeah. So even if your home loses internet connection, you can still have a direct line to your system. You should, in theory, if it's getting power, you should never lose connection with your Powerwall system, right? They can lose internet connection. Right. Okay. So if you plug it in through Ethernet and you lose Internet, right, then you've lost Internet mm. connection. So you can't see it. But, you know, if you lose power, it's still producing. It's just not telling you what's happening. So, you know, if you have Starlink, you know, you should stay online a lot more than if you have ground wires and something happens to the grid and it can't send that signal out to your house. Then, yeah, you're going to lose the ability to see what's happening so it's important to make sure that, yeah, you know, there are some backups in place so that you can, you know, hopefully maintain internet connection if and when the power goes out. Because if you have internet and you have solar and you have batteries, then you're set. You know, you don't necessarily need the grid depending on your production and consumption behaviors. So at the beginning of the project, we're given an estimated production size, how much our roof is estimated to produce. Uh, how similar is that to actual performance? And more importantly, how long should I wait to assess that? Because obviously, you know, you may not get that uh, ideal production on day one of install. So do you give it a week, three months, a year? What, what's that time scale? Well, it's important to keep in mind that seasonality does impact production in the northern hemisphere in the winter when the sun is really low. You're going to have lower production than during the late spring summer months when the sun is really high in the sky. But there's also tree cover, right, and leaves. So I found while having the system for a couple of years, I found there's a nice sweet spot in between March and April when the leaves are still off the trees, but the sun is actually getting higher in the sky. Mm. So the production is actually gets really, really good. And then all of a sudden the leaves start coming back on the trees and it starts blocking that early morning sun. Right. So my production takes a little bit of a dip, but then it quickly goes back up as the sun stays up in the sky longer and higher throughout the summer months. So yeah, it's important to keep in mind seasonality. So if your system gets turned on in January, set your expectations kind of low, right? Your system gets turned on in July, your expectations can be higher. 
But when you look at the app, I guess the biggest thing that strikes out is how much production your system is is doing, is giving you, right? So even on a kind of cloudy day today, my system's still producing 3.6 kilowatts, right? That's the production, that's the power. And over the course of time, you can see so far today, the system has generated 8.2 kilowatt hours of energy. So, you know, looking at the original design and trying to set the expectations, we're, we're providing homeowners with a design of not only their roof, but we're also estimating their annual production. So if we say that we're estimating 20,000 kilowatt hours of energy to be produced throughout the course of a year, and you say you use 30,000 kilowatt hours of energy, right? That's a 66% offset of your current consumption. Right, right. Right. But that's across the whole year. That's not month to month. So in the summer, typically you'll produce more than you consume. So you'll be net positive a lot in the summer months, but then in the winter, you'll be net negative and you'll be relying a lot more on the grid typically. But over the course of the year, it smooths out for that overall annual production, that overall offset. So it's important to keep that in mind. One of the things that I like to do in the app just to make sure everything's functioning properly is just check in from time to time, see how much the system's producing, see how much on a daily basis the system has generated as well. You know, you can see in the energy tab, just looking around, you can see some days are better than others. And it's based on cloud cloudiness. It's based on, you know, seasonality, of course. But yesterday, we generated 50.4 kilowatt hours. And you can see the graph, you can see the, you know, started off early in the morning, producing a little bit. And then through the course of the day, you can see it kind of peaked out around 1pm at around seven kilowatts of production. All right. And then as the sun kind of started going down in the sky towards early afternoon, mid afternoon, it started producing less until it got behind the trees around seven o'clock. And then that's when it stopped producing. So even if it's cloudy, the system tends to produce something. And it's just nice to kind of go back, you know, day by day and see how much you're producing. You know, and you can tell based on the production you know, what's happening, you know, were there clouds that came through and lowered the production about midday, or did I have a really nice sunny day? And you can see in the graph, wow, that was a real nice sunny day. So that's the kind of stuff I look for. And it's just kind of interesting to kind of play around with the app and look at the different, you know, different days of production. Like on Saturday, May 13th, you can see ups and downs in the graph. It was a very mixed day of sun and clouds. So clouds pour, you know, roared in, and the production dipped, then the clouds went away, the sun came out, and production spiked. And you can see that throughout the course of the days and the weeks. And just becoming familiar with how your system produces, just being in tune with the, um, the data, and just getting a pulse on it. That's why early on, most people become obsessed with the app. They look at it all the time, they try to figure out what's, how, how the system's performing, how it's supposed to be performing. But most people don't understand you know, how it should be performing because you just look at the app and you see it's generating 3.9 kilowatts and you're like, what does that mean? How does that affect me overall? Is it doing what it's supposed to do? I don't know if it should be producing eight kilowatts versus right. two. So it's important just to kind of monitor it, just make sure that everything is maintaining, you know, some sort of consistency over time. It's improving as the seasons progress from winter to spring to summer, and then it'll start to dip in fall as we go back into winter. So checking that out, seeing what your average production is on a bright sunny day, right? Seeing what the, the maximum amount of production is, like right now, around 50 kilowatt hours of production is good for me. I'm hoping that as we get into June and July, it becomes even more based on history. Those are like, you know, some of the two best performing months in our area. So I'll monitor it and make sure that things are performing as they should be. But then also, you know, if you, if you see anything unusual in the app, like, hey, it was a perfectly sunny day, but all of a sudden I lost production at one, one o'clock. Why was that? You know, it could have been an arc fault in the system. It could have been just a communication error, but just something to be mindful of and something to pay attention to. And at the end of, the, of each month, you can actually go through the app and you can actually download the data. Oh, cool. Yeah, so you can download the data and you can send it and 
you can actually put it in a Excel file and you can, you know, manipulate the data, it, really yeah. dive into how much the home is consuming, how much the solar system's producing, how much the batteries are charging and discharging, and how much you're ultimately pulling from the grid. Today, so far, the home used 2.6 kilowatt hours. We've produced 8.5 kilowatt hours. Again, it's been kind of cloudy today. Powerwall discharge, we haven't discharged anything. We've actually been charging the power walls, mm -hmm. right? So we've been consuming less than we've been producing. Cars charged overnight, so they're all fully charged, and it's just morning. We're recording this like right before lunch, so yep. not using a lot in the house up to this point. Yep, in the evening when we plug the cars in from driving around town, then yes, the, the energy consumption will spike, and then the batteries will start to discharge as well. Right. Uh, do you load your power walls up to 100%? I have a buddy who has Powerwall, just bought a new house that had it. You know, they moved in and already had Powerwalls in it. So he's learning how to use the system. And that was one of the questions he had was, do I charge these things the whole way to 100 or should I keep it around 80, 85, you know, not maxing these batteries out, but getting enough to, to make it through the day? So inside the Powerwall settings, you can change your backup reserve so that your power walls will not discharge beyond a certain point. Mm. So the standard is typically 20%, right? So they'll charge up from 20% all the way up to 100%, and then you'll start net metering, right, back to the grid. And then they'll discharge all the way down to 20%. So if you want to have a bigger reserve, you can put it up to, say, 50%, right? Gotcha. So yeah. I can put it up to 50% so the batteries stay half charged, right? And if you have three of them, all three will stay half charged. You'll start your charging at 50%. It'll go up to 60, 70, all the way up to 100%, start net metering. And then as the sun goes down, it'll start pulling from those batteries before it pulls from the grid, or it'll pull from the batteries and the grid, depending on right. how much energy you need, how much consumption you're trying to pull from. If you plug both electric vehicles in, you're probably going to be pulling from batteries and the grid because that's a lot of power. So you can, you have a lot of flexibility inside of the app to change the reserve levels. And we kind of play around with this, especially in the winter, because there is storm watch mode, which is great. Um, storm watch mode is something where if the National Weather Service issues a storm warning in your area, the power walls will charge from the grid all the way up to 100% to make sure that you have power mm. in the event of an outage. Genius. So it's real smart, real smart. But sometimes in the winter, we don't have a, a storm warning issued by the National Weather Service. So, and it'll, be, it'll get a little breezy or there'll be some inclement weather. So my wife and I will actually adjust the backup reserves up a little bit higher based on how much we're producing and consuming in the winter months, just to make sure we have a buffer. We have some additional reserves if and when we were to lose power. Right. And I'm sure learning that capacity and how much you want on reserve will just come with time, understanding how much power you consume from the power walls throughout the day. You know, so you can say, hey, I need it is essential that I have at least 30 percent of the power walls reserved for a blackout so that I can power X, Y and Z. You know, like you'll just learn that there's not a tried and true. Oh, you need 35 percent if you're doing fridge, microwave and and uh, second fridge. Yeah, it's tough to tell. You know, I mean, you can kind of kind of get a, a pulse on your consumption behaviors based on just, you know, what you do and in, in throughout the different seasons and how much energy you're going to consume on a day-to-day -day basis on average. But in the winter months, since we're producing less, we typically want to put our reserve up a little higher to the point where we know that, you know, hey, if, if, if we're only going to fill up the power walls, if they're at a 30% reserve, you know, we kind of play the game of setting the reserve level high enough so that the additional production over top of consumption fills up the power walls close enough to that 100% mark because right. we don't want a net meter, you know, because net metering is fine, but the whole goal with the power walls is to store that energy and discharge it for yourself, mm -hmm. you know, independent right, from right. the grid. So, you know, we kind of we play with the self-powered portion of the power walls and the reserve limit based on seasonality. In the summer, and we, we typically don't go below 20% backup. We want to keep it at 20%. We don't want to drain the batteries below that, right? Because something, anything could happen to the grid, and if it goes out, then, uh-oh, we don't have any 
energy reserved in our power walls and you know at least 20 percent will give us time to make adjustments in the house reduce some consumption flip some breakers and you know hopefully be able to keep the freezer running and the essentials running so that when you know we start to maintain production on the roof right we can start to consume more and then once the grid comes back online we can start pulling from the grid as well right um Initially, did you ever max out your system from the get go? You know, let's let's shut off grid power. Let's shut off the utility input and just max out. Turn on the lights, turn on everything. Let's see how quickly it takes to drain and how much effort it takes to drain my power walls. Is that something that people do just to kind of get a feel for, you know, how that energy translates to an everyday usage scenario? Yeah, so you can actually... um Inside of the app settings for the Powerwall batteries, you can, um, again, you can adjust your backup reserve limits, right? So that you have backup and, you know, how much of, if it's going to be self-powered. You can change the operational mode from self-powered to time-based control. So if your utility company charges you more the during, during the peak hours, you can do a time-based control setting where you discharge at those hours so you're not paying more for your electricity that you're consuming from the grid. And you can set up a utility rate plan, which is amazing. And you can also just, you know, tell the app if you want to charge from the grid, right? So uh, if, you if you disable grid charging, Powerwall will only charge from your solar and it won't pull from the grid at all. Gotcha. So it's a great feature to have. You know, it's great to be able to charge from the grid. And it is great to be able to tap into the grid as well. It's nice. Mm -hmm. um, but back to your question of, you know, have I ever turned uh, turned the system off or went off grid to see how much my home was consuming and how much my batteries would be able to support my consumption if I maxed it out? Um, we've ha we have in the past gone off grid, you know, just shut things down. And actually, inside of the app, you can actually go off grid. You can shut everything down and be self sufficient. And in the past, when we've done that, you know, the, the Powerwall batteries, even if they're charged to 100%, they're not going to give you days and weeks of, of power. It's not right. like a generator, right, that keeps running. It's designed to be coupled with solar so that you produce, you consume, you charge, you discharge, and it's a sustainable cycle mm -hmm. indefinitely, right? So you're not going to get a ton of energy out of the Powerwalls to survive at full consumption, typically. You would need to have, you know, dozens of power walls for yeah, that Yeah, right. It would be an obscene... Consumption. Yeah. Yeah, and they're not designed for that. They're designed to, again, make that sustainable cycle so that you can produce, consume, charge, discharge indefinitely and not have to rely on diesel for diesel fuel for a, a generator mm -hmm. or, or gas for a generator or anything like that. Because you can run out of those those uh, supplies, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to run out of the sun. The sun's going to continue to come up, right? At least we yeah. all hope it will. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, that got bleak. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, just trying to figure out how much you need on reserve, how much to put on that backup system. Should the grid go down? Should you lose external power? Making sure that your interior power, you know, that, that you're powering the essentials and that it makes sense and it is sustainable. It is beneficial to go off grid just to kind of see how that all interacts for a day. How long have you gone off grid in a test situation? Uh, I mean, we've been off grid for a few days when we've lost power because um, you don't have anything to pull from except right. for your solar. But we've maintained reduced consumption. We'll reduce our consumption just to be frugal and just make sure that our freezer can stay on. We have you know, the microwave. We have some outlets. Um, you know, If you lose power in the dead of winter and it's really cold outside and your heat pump's really trying to keep the house warm, that could be an issue, mm -hmm. right? So we do have a secondary fuel source. We have the, the fireplace insert just in case for those situations. We're currently going geothermal, so we're going to have a much more efficient heat pump oh, nice. here soon. So we'll reduce our consumption in the winter and summer months. Uh, which will be great. We're again, we're trying to get to that break-even point of being able to produce and consume pretty much the same amount. I don't know if we'll get there with all the electrical devices we have, electric vehicles, and all that, but we're certainly working our way towards that goal. Um, but yeah, so the the power walls will 
will be able to provide you with typically enough energy for your essentials until the sun comes back up and you can start producing and consuming more and ultimately until the grid comes back online. But it's important and good to be connected to the grid. I know people talk about off-grid setups, which is kind of cool in theory, but again, you really need to think through that because in the winter months, depending on where you are, I mean, you could have a bunch of snow and you might not be able to produce um, for a while. And in that case, I, I don't think it's reasonable to have that many batteries um, kind of lying around yeah. if and when that event were to happen. So, uh, How long can the power walls hold a charge before they start to, to lose power or lose storage? So the power walls are, are in the basement right next to the electrical, electrical equipment. So they're in a climate-controlled environment, so they're not going to really lose much power over time right when your vehicle is out and about and it's in a parking garage and it's really cold outside like 40 degrees or you know in the, in the teens or whatever right. your your battery will start to you know wear down it'll start to lose energy inside of the battery um but the power walls if they're outside that will happen but typically people install the, the power walls inside Makes if sense. they're in the northern climates you were saying when folks get their system initially, they are just nose is deep in the Tesla app. They're monitoring everything on a very granular level. I get it. It's a new product. You want to, you know, it's a very exciting time. Um, but at what point would you recommend them waiting to assess their system fully? Uh, hey, I need another power wall. I need two more power walls to get where I want to be. Um, or, you know, any other external functions how, how long would you say a couple months a year uh i mean the more data the better right to analyze so i would say looking at probably a year's worth of data and seeing your consumption habits and seeing how much you've produced how much you've consumed and charged and discharged over the course of that overall year um you know we'll tell you hey do you have enough batteries do you you know could you potentially need more, right? If you're if you're net metering a lot in the summer months, maybe it justifies having another battery if you want one. That's kind of the conclusion I came to. You know, I started off with one battery, then I moved to three batteries, and now I have five batteries. But I I monitored things very closely over time, and I realized in the summer months I was net metering a lot. You know, I was producing a lot, not consuming that much, and it was just sending so much back to the grid. So I was like, you know what? Why don't I get a couple more batteries and I can store that energy myself and here, then discharge yeah. it in the afternoon, evening hours? Because eventually, you know, net metering will be, you know, I, I think it'll be universal at a wholesale rate. So the utility companies won't be willing to credit you at a retail rate. They'll only pay wholesale for the electricity that you provide to the grid, back to the grid. So in that case, you want to keep the electricity that you're, producing over top of consuming for yourself, mm -hmm. right, to use later. There's going to be more time-based controls during peak hours. You're going to be charged more. Again, the the, the use case for power walls only going to increase as time goes by with the various utility companies. So, yeah, I think coupling your Tesla solar roof with a power wall is extremely smart. And I think it's only going to continue to be more important in the future and just looking at your system's production and your behaviors and then figuring out at the end of the year, hey, do I want an extra battery? Because you can add a, another battery or two fairly simply, mm -hmm. right, on top of your other power walls that you've had installed. You know, a day to get those installed, the additional power walls? Yeah. Yeah, it should be a day or two depending on complexity. There could be some design work, mm -hmm. right? You may have to submit another design to the permit office, the utility company, just letting them know what's going on. But typically, it's uh, it's not a very difficult thing to add power walls to an existing system that already has power walls, especially. If you don't have any power walls and you just have Tesla solar roof or solar in, in general, then adding a power wall and gateways is a little bit more of a process because it's just more equipment that needs to be installed and set up. And then you also have to think about the electrical panels in your house. If you have one electric panel, then, all right, so what am I backing up? How many power walls will it take to back up my entire panel? If you're not going to get at least two or three batteries for a full home backup and you only want one battery, then you're going to have to take some of the breakers, put it into a sub panel of essentials 
and then that'll tie into the battery, right? So then if you lose power, that battery is supporting, you know, 30 amps or less of breakers and, you know, it could be your, your freezer, your refrigerator, microwave, little things like that, a few outlets, right? The essentials. But if you have enough batteries to do a full home backup, then you got to figure out, all right, if you have more than one electric panel, that's where it gets interesting, right? If you have 400 amp service, two 200 amp electric panels, then you got to figure out which breakers you want where, right? How many batteries for this panel? How many batteries for this panel, right? You need at least two or three per panel to do a full home backup, but then you got to figure out where the heat pump's going to go, right? Where does the oven going? Where are right. the washing machines? You know what I mean? Stuff like that, the big heavy loads, where are they going to go so that if I lose power, I can like kind of have it balanced out. And that's the, that's the real difficult thing to figure out early on because when we're working with homeowners, we don't know their consumption habits. We don't know how, how much they use the, um, you know, the dishwasher, the washing machine, you know, that kind, those kinds of things. We can see their electrical bill and we can see their consumption over the last trailing 12 months, right? So we can get an idea. And, it, you know, a lot of times it'll actually show you month by month by month usage. So you'll be able to see, oh, you use a lot in January and, you know, a pretty good amount in February. And then all of a sudden, you know, the weather starts to break and it starts to get warmer outside. And it's like, hey, you know, you're starting to use less power, less electricity. So, you know, you just got to kind of, it, it's so individualized. And that's yeah. why it's so complicated for people until they start living with the system. You try to plan the best you can up front. You try to say, all right, let's, based on your needs, based on your consumption. This is the system size we recommend. This is the estimated output, you know, however many kilowatt hours per year of annual production. How much are you consuming? And then how many batteries, you know, do you want? And based on system size, it kind of will determine, you know, if you have a small system size, you probably don't want to get, you know, five or six power walls. Uh, unless you want to charge them from the grid and have them as, as backup energy, right? You could do that as well. People do have power walls without solar. It's just yeah. when you when you couple the power wall with the solar, that's when the product really becomes special. So if you do decide to get more power walls down the road, do you need to do inspection and potentially PTO again because the system has been altered? Um, you should reach out to it. That's very individualized depending case on case. Yep, the actual permit office and the utility companies that are involved. I've heard of situations where people haven't really had to do much. And I've heard of situations where, yes, you know, the permit office needs to be notified and approving of it. And then the utility company also needs to get involved. So it's, it's kind of case by case across the country. Got you. And you were talking about instances where you don't necessarily know what the individual needs for their backup, what's on which panel, which breaker is operating what. Uh, do you have any personal stories of your system and figuring that out and potentially having to switch things over from breaker to breaker because you needed to balance the system out? Yeah. So when we, uh, a big consideration of ours was where we're going to put the electric vehicle chargers, mm -hmm. right? Because they're pretty, they're pretty big, and they use a lot of power. So, we kind of went through the exercise of thinking, you know, which panel, you know, how much production are we sending to each electric panel? How many batteries are there? So we ultimately came up with putting them on the side that has three batteries, right? But we also have heavier loads on that panel as well. So knowing that, hey, if we lose power, we probably, you know, we got to look around and say, all right, are the vehicles charging? If they are, we should probably shut them down. You can actually do that inside of the Tesla app as well. You can set charge limits for your vehicles, oh, cool. right? So that if you go down to a certain amount on the reserve of the battery, it'll stop charging your vehicles. And then of course, you know, we want to prioritize certain things like maybe heating the house if it's really cold so that, you know, we don't have any frozen pipes and that kind of stuff. So yeah, you got to kind of go through that thought exercise. There are smart electric panels out there. I was there. just going to say span IO, but I think that deserves its own standalone video because that is a whole can of worms, but that is really cool that, yeah, you can go in and uh, tweak your panel on, you know, the individual breaker level from your phone. That's yeah, yeah, we'll sweet. dive deep into that. But yeah, that is a pretty cool product where you can manage things remotely and you can see at the individual breaker level the usage, not just at the overall panel level, mm -hmm. the individual breakers. And then you can also set up 
um, workflows for, you know, if you lose power, it shuts these breakers down and it only focuses on these essentials. So yeah, it's kind of like an automated process. So you don't have to go down to your basement, open the electrical panel, flip off the breakers themselves manually. It's all automated. You can use, do it from your phone. Great, great use case. If you have a, you know, a property that you're not at too often, you can just manage things remotely and check on things as well. Yeah, so. Who wants to go to the basement, right? Like <laughs> that is so, that is so 1990s, man. Um, are there any messages that you want to give to, you know, brand new Tesla solar roof owners uh, about their power wall and, and using their system from the start? So after the system's turned on, you know, monitor things through the app, make sure everything's working properly and, you know, reach out to your certified installer and ask questions if you're unsure of what you're looking at, how things are working, if it's working properly, you know, it's pretty easy to just send over data, right? Like I said, you can go into the app, you can download the data, you can send it over to your certified installer. Um, you know, you can do a screen record, you can send them a video of what's happening in your app just so they can see firsthand how things are performing and what you're seeing. And, you know, just be patient, you know, especially if your system's turned on in the winter, it's not going to be producing that much, right? If your system's turned on in the summer, it will be producing more. So just know the seasonality, know where the sun is in the sky, you know, be, be more aware of your home, the orientation, the positioning of the sun throughout the course of the days and weeks and seasons, just become more aware of that. And know, you know, based on your design that you provided, you can see where the tiles are laid out on your roof. Mm -hmm. So if you have a lot of tiles that are on the north-facing slopes, they're not going to see a lot of sun in the winter months. So don't expect, again, don't expect a lot of production. But in the summer, when that sun is really high in the sky, it's touching that north-facing slope as well, and it should be producing a lot of power. So... Just set the expectations for yourself to become more aware of your surroundings, your house, how it fits in with the sun patterns throughout the year and seasons, and that kind of stuff. It's really exciting because you become more aware of how much you're consuming. You know, you start turning lights off and you start being, you know, being less wasteful, really, as you start to kind of monitor your consumption and, you know, paying attention to the production, making sure things are performing as they should, but really trying to limit your consumption and be, be smart about that, right? Mm -hmm. Turn off things that you're not using. Um, and yeah, try to, try to just be a good steward. So the, the app doesn't show you real-time weather conditions, right? Correct. Yeah, there's but, no weather time conditions in the app. But I'm sure you can look at your graph now having a roof for, what, three years already? Two and a half, three years? You probably know what the weather pattern was when you're out of town or whatever. You can probably look at your production and, and assume, oh, we had a storm that lasted from here to here. We had, it was partly cloudy today. Sun really opened up. You know, you probably read the weather patterns based on the uh, the production already. You can kind of see that in the data. You can look at some days where you see your graph all the way up producing, and then all of a sudden it drops down really, really far, right? Now, obviously that could be an issue. That could be an arc fault right. or something not performing correctly or communicating correctly, but if everything's performing as it should, then most likely that was just, you know, a thunderstorm rolling in, really dark clouds coming in and rain and all that good stuff. And then you can kind of see it in the data as the storm leaves away. And as long as it's still daytime, you can see the sun come out and the production start to resume. So yeah, it is kind of interesting to look at the, the overall data points. Uh, we've noticed a lot of customers that get solar also have uh, weather systems installed at their house so they can see, you know, through an app what the weather conditions are like at their home as well. So they can take that data and overlay it with the, 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 the solar production data and just, you know, get a full picture of what's happening around their house. So for you, for your household, what are the top three features in the app that you are monitoring on a daily, weekly basis? Just kind of explain your process. When you open the app, what are the first three things that you're checking? So when I open the Tesla app, the first three things I'm checking are seeing what's happening with the production of the system, seeing what uh, status the batteries are in. Uh, are they charging? Are they on standby? Are they discharging, right? Because if I see underneath of the... Um, 
the name of my solar roof, Tesla solar roof, and then my system size, if I see that it's charging, then I know I'm producing more than I'm consuming. So that's like where my, my eye goes first. Hey, if I'm charging, I always like to see, especially on a sunny day, that we're charging. Great. Yeah. We're charging those batteries up. Right, So it really just depends on what time of day I open the app. If I open it in the evening, if I see discharging, it means, great, the battery's charged up enough to discharge. If I see standby, then I know, okay, well, the batteries are at their reserve limit, and it looks like we're probably pulling from the grid, or we're producing and consuming the same amount, so it's not enough to you know, charge up the battery. So I check out that first, right? And then I check out how much we are producing, how many kilowatts of power the system is producing. And then I kind of look and see, all right, well, you know, how sunny is it outside? Are there clouds? Does this look normal? Okay, based on history and based on my experience with my system and my app and, you know, production consumption over time, this looks normal, right? Just make sure everything's kosher, make sure everything's performing as it should. And then I look at the the Powerwall um, batteries and how much they are charged, right? If my reserve limit is set to 20% and I'm seeing the Powerwalls are at 40%, I know that they've charged up throughout the day. And great, you know, depending on what time of day it is, I can hopefully look forward to them reaching close to 100% charge, if not a little more, right? A little bit more net metering is fine. But then I'll also, you know, just pay attention to that, knowing that, hey, you know, in the evening when the cars need to charge or, you know, the kids come home and we're using more electricity, we'll most likely be pulling from those batteries that are fully charged up, hopefully. So goal is to be as self-sufficient as possible, self-powered as possible. And then I kind of look in the app as well, look at the impact, how much self-powered you were today over the course of time. You can see, you know, how much self-powered you are compared to how reliant you are on the grid and the infrastructure that's built sending electricity to your house. So yeah, those are the kind of things I look for when I open the app. And other than that, I don't really go into the app much to change any settings. I kind of set stuff as it is. Again, in the wintertime, I will adjust the reserve settings on the power walls depending on weather and you know, depending on how much we're actually able to charge those batteries batteries up in the winter months. The whole goal is to set the reserve limit so that in the winter months, based on our con- production and consumption, we hit that you know 100% charge mark. So we're not usually hitting 100% from 20%. We're usually having to set it up to 30 or 40% in like January and February. So we start there, charge it up to 100, discharge it down to 40%. We kind of play that game. And eventually, who knows, maybe that'll be automated as the... Um, as the system learns our behavior and it kind of gets more and more data into it, I'm sure there'll be ways to automate that process where it's, you know, the reserve limits are, are automatically going up and down based on your production, production and consumption habits. Right. Yeah. When the uh, T in chat GPT stands for Tesla. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the one thing I did want to mention is when, uh, when you're looking at your design and you're seeing, you know, not only where the tiles are, but the system size itself and then also the estimated annual production in kilowatt hours. Again, it's important to remember the position of the sun and the seasonality and that sun shining on different slopes and where those tiles are. So if you have a few strings that are on the north-facing slope, right, and they're going to one of the inverters that go to, you know, one of the gateways, just be very mindful, you know, if you have the, the gateway separated out on your Tesla mobile app where you have two systems showing, just remember that, hey, you know, one of those systems might be producing less than the other, and it's because of the orientation and where those actual active tiles are located on your roof. And you can just walk outside and see how much sun is shining on, you know, the various slopes of your roof. And if you're, you know, super aware of what's happening and you are very familiar with your design and you know where the strings are and where the tiles are on your roof, the active tiles, and what strings are going to which inverter, then you can really dive into, you know, understanding what's happening out there. And, you know, you can pay attention to it over the course of the day. And as that sun moves from east to west in the sky, you can kind of, you know, see it on your house, on the roof and see how much sun each 
roof slope is getting mm-hmm. and you can, it kind of paints the overall picture so yeah just awareness and just kind of paying attention to what's happening is really what it's all about and it's exciting once the system turns on and you get a chance to play around with the app you get a chance to be more familiar and aware of your consumption habits the sun as it you know dances around the sky and hits different parts of your roof and how much production you pull from it in different parts of the year it's really fun so you know Say my grandparents want to get a Tesla solar roof and they're obviously not as tech savvy as you and I would be. Uh, Could you have someone from, you know, your certified installer, a Tesla rep, whatever, help you set up your system and kind of set it and forget it? Uh, Do you need to be in the app monitoring and, and adjusting throughout the year? No, you don't need to adjust the thing in the app, right? The app is just there so that you can see what's happening if you want. And usually when you get the system turned on, you kind of become addicted to the app to see what's happening and become familiar with right. it. But after that, yeah, it is kind of a set in or forget it. I mean, there's been days and weeks where I haven't looked at the app. I haven't looked at the solar production. And, you know, again, I just kind of set it, forgot it. And as long as everything is performing as it should, that should be all you need. Now, if you're in a state that has solar renewable energy certificates, the SRECs, then you will need to be sending information to your broker or whoever you're using to sell those SRECs on the open market. So you'll need to be generating monthly reports. So I think it's best practice to at least check in monthly, right? And I appreciate, I I wish it was automated, but I kind of appreciate, um, you know, having to go in there on a monthly basis just to check on things, right? right? And on on a monthly basis, I have it in my calendar settings, the first of every month, I go into the app, I pull the data from the previous month, I send it to an Excel spreadsheet, I look at the data, I look at how much the house consumed, I look at how much the system produced, how much the batteries discharged, charged and discharged, I look at how much energy was pulled from the grid or net metered, sent back to the grid. And doing that exercise kind of, again, makes me more aware of the monthly consumption, production, charging, discharging, all that stuff. And then I simply just send the information out to the broker I use for selling my SRECs. And every 1,000 kilowatt hours generates an SREC. So, you know, depending on how much I produce that month, I get money on a quarterly basis sent to my checking account based on the sale of those SRECs. So it's important to keep track of those things. And even if you're not in a state that has SRECs, again, I would think the the bare minimum, a monthly check-in just to see how things are going and just become more aware of your system and consumption habits. Right. It would be really cool if they had like a smart panel for a home that could show you that like constant monitoring. The monitoring where like uh, you have like a Google Nest system or a hub. It would be kind of cool to have like an, a display in your home showing all of that production, all the like data. a little LED display by yes. the power wall, so you can go down and just look at it, and yeah, yeah. it'd be kind of cool. Or just like put it upstairs, so it's a talking, you know, your friends when they're over, it's in the kitchen, whatever, next to the thermostat. Uh, just. <laughs> What does roof maintenance look like on a year-to-year basis? Do I need to have anybody come out to just do a brush up to make sure everything's going working properly, clean it off? Is there anything like that that's required? No, there's no annual maintenance requirements for the Tesla solar roof system. Uh, it's best practice to have somebody out and inspect your roof every so often, especially if you had a storm in the area and there may be some concern about damage. If you see something in the app that looks unusual, obviously reach out to your certified installer and get them involved so they can help troubleshoot if there are any issues or concerns. Um, but no, there's no there's no maintenance on a set schedule um, other than just best practice of having your roof inspected every every so often let's say every couple years or so you know you want somebody to come out or again based on storm activity mm-hmm. if you had a big hailstorm or a windstorm come through or trees were you know falling all over the place then yeah you probably want to check it out make sure nothing happened nothing got damaged in the process but if you don't see anything in the app that's concerning and you're walking around your house and you're looking up at the roof and nothing's sticking up or nothing's loose or anything like that then no it's fine heavy rain will typically wash the system off so here in maryland we get a lot of pollen especially in april and may right now pollen's covering all the all the houses all the cars Yeah, if you can't hear it in our voices we're a little stuffed yeah (laughs) yeah oh yeah this time of year is just great um 
but yeah, so there'll be a lot of pollen on the roofs and, you know, any debris or dust can, you know, have a slight impact on the production, but not much. And usually it just washes off with heavy rain, which, you know, we're bound to have here in the next few days anyways. So typically, you know, if you're in an area where the roof gets exceptionally dirty or, you know, for some reason it's just, you know, something happened up there, a huge bird took a <laughs> on the roof and, you know, it's just blocking out a whole tile. <laughs> <laughs> then you want to, you may want to get up there and scrub that bad boy off. What kind of, what kind of birds are we? Gonna, I don't think that's going to make it. To that. Oh, like, the oh it's going to make it. Oh, it'll be in there. <laughs> well, it is, it is kind of amazing. You know, when I go out to these job sites after they're installed and I take the after pictures and you can see it very clear as day because the tiles are black. Right. So you see these little dots everywhere. It's like, God, man, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that right before I came out here to take these pictures? It looks so good. Yeah. Oh my God. Gosh. So these tiles are top of their class with ratings, right? Like they're going to take a beating from wind, from hail, from anything that nature can throw at them. Uh, they're going to they're going to put up a pretty good fight. But if something should happen, a tree limb falls on your roof, breaks one of those glass tiles. Will the solar array, that grouping of solar tiles, will it still function if one of them is damaged and along those lines, how quickly do I need to get that replaced? So if there are damaged tiles in the roof, you should get them replaced as soon as possible, but it's typically not the end of the world. Um, they can be swapped out fairly easy enough. And yes, if you do have one that's damaged in the middle of a string, uh, the way that the tiles are strung together, they're strung with two different strings. Mm -hmm. So you should be able to bypass that tile that's damaged and continue power through that string into the inverter it all depends on you know the type of damage right. and what really occurred but yeah it's it, it should still produce something usually there's multiple strings going to the inverter so even if one string were to get shut down other strings would still be feeding the inverter um even if a tile you know, or a few tiles were shaded or damaged um, that were supposed to activate a, an MCI. Usually other tiles can still power that MCI. It's usually one mid-circuit interrupter for every 10 active tiles. So yeah, the, the system's designed and built so that even if there are slight issues, it doesn't kill out all the power. But if there are any issues like that, it's best to get them taken care of as, as soon as possible. You've been listening to the American Home Contractors podcast. You can find us across the web on YouTube, X, TikTok, and Instagram at AHCDMV. If you have an upcoming job or have any further questions about this or another product or service we offer, please contact us at AmericanHomeContractors.com. Thanks. We'll see you in the next one.